Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. So the name of this show today is uh, entitled, Are Near-Death Experiences Real? And I think you're all going to find this to be a... Um, very uh, interesting and hopefully insightful conversation because I'm lucky to have on the show somebody who I think is probably the foremost researcher of near-death experiences in the world and that's PMH Atwater, uh, also Dr. Atwater. She's written 18 different books on the topic including her newest book called The Forever Angels, Near-Death Experiences in Childhood and their lifelong impact. So one thing I try to do on the show is to go beyond science and religion to push the envelope with credible guests. Many of the fields I cover are not within the mainstream of science, such as mediumship, parapsychology, crop circles, which I've done recently, and of course near-death experiences. But like with any other observation or phenomenon, at some point the evidence builds up to a level where the phenomenon simply cannot be denied, even by the most die-hard materialist or orthodox science. And we have some of this, uh, some examples of this occurring, but I have to say, not enough. Many of the attempts to rationalize these phenomena, such as mind over matter, is an example, are often phrased in materialistic language or attributed to some form of insanity. But we have a ways to go. Now one of the most studied phenomena of this of this uh, nature, as I mentioned, are near-death experiences. And these experiences, I think, have captivated the modern mind. And at least in part, and I'm going to attribute this to two reasons. I'm going to ask PMH this question uh, when we get around here. Uh, first of all, I think one reason people are fascinated by these experiences is that many of us were raised in a culture believing in the afterlife and then and the the notion of there being some heavenly world beyond our common physical world remains a hope of I think the majority of people many of us who are still may not be practicing um, Christians for example still harbor some hope that there is something beyond this world. And then I think Edmund Alexander's popular book, Proof of Heaven, did a lot to bring this topic to the forefront. But as I said, we have today PMH, uh, who, is, who is with us from Charlottesville, Virginia, who, uh, as I said, is one of the leading researchers. So we're going to probe this topic. Uh, PMH, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Well, it's, uh, it's really fun to be here. Thank you. Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, again, uh, one of my first questions to you 
is going to be, um, you know, you've been researching this topic for decades. Um, yeah. It, it looks 40, like it's, it looks like 43 it's years. 43, 43 years. And, uh, yes. and it's like, uh, it's I've always, I've always uh, said it's one, it's one way to be an expert in something is just to stay with the topic. So you're clearly a foremost authority on this field. And so I, I'm going to ask you this question right off the bat here, which is that in your years of researching this field, have you, have you, um, sense that there is a greater acceptance of the phenomena in 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 uh, mainstream science or what's your thought on that topic um it's it's greater in the sense that more people are interested more scientists are interested uh they're interested both to uh to to show that it's not true and to show that it is true, so you've got a lot of, of data, and you've got a, you've got a, a lot of words on both sides of the spectrum, but then you've got the middle, and the middle is all of the people who are having them, and and it, you just simply cannot ignore that. I, I don't care whether you believe in it or you don't believe in it. Belief has nothing to do with it. Take the word belief and and expunge it from for, from your vocabulary. Yeah. This is a physical thing. This is a physical thing that can be measured and studied. But also, this is a physical happening that turns people's lives around. And um, with the forever a angels... I, I, um, I found that babies before, during, and after birth, babies, toddlers, kids up to age of five, have them also. So we're not just talking about, about uh, school-age children. We're not just talking about teens and tweens. We're not just talking about adults of all ages. But we're, we're also now focusing on the fact that teeny weeny weeny ones can have it too, and it changes their lives in ways that we that we that we weren't prepared to um, acknowledge, and so all of a sudden now, right now, we're being hit by a focus on near death ex experiences that we were not prepared to uh, to appreciate. So, you know, <laughs> well, is it, it a field real? Yes. <laughs> well, I, I completely agree. I completely agree with you. I mean, at some point, I was just thinking about this uh, on another topic, but I, I could apply it here. It's like at some point, do you, do you have to believe in gravity? No, gravity is not gravity because people believe in it. Gravity is, is 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 part of the fabric of the world. So whether you believe in it or not, it's there. And I think one of the struggles of of this field, and I and I'm, I'm I try to be careful with the way I use certain terms like paranormal. Some people don't like that term because it's it's just normal. And, but I, but for example, parapsychology is is a field that is considered to be an outlier. In today's modern culture, and it's it's essentially rejected 
by modern science because they don't have a model for it. With with regard to near death experiences, which I which are are close in many ways, but the thing about near death experiences that you point out is that they they are common and they are so vividly real to the person experiencing them. Right? That's that's what makes them that's what makes them real. But also, as your research shows in your new book, these experiences have these lifelong impacts. Right. So, so how do you how do you um, do this transition from belief to to reality? What What do you think is is the is the key link that makes this real as opposed to a belief? Well, for first of all, you have to know a little bit more about me. Before I answer that statement, you, you have to realize that I'm a near-death experiencer, too. I died three times in three months in 1977. Later that fall, I had three major relapses. So, I'm, you know, 1977 wasn't exactly my year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's not yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about this. I'm glad you bring it up. Why don't you, okay, because it, it's, it's a little sensitive, but why don't you describe, because I think that's essential for understanding who you are. Go ahead. It, it's very essential. Realize that at the time, I was, um, I was studying to be a bank manager. I was taking classes in the American Banking Institute. I was raped. I became pregnant. And because of all uh, of, the, um, uh, of the happenings that occurred after that, that's when I died. Um, the first one was January 2, then January 4, then March 29. And then later that year, uh, in November, October and November, I had three major relapses. Uh, so again, um, I had to face some of the things in my near-death experiences that I was not prepared for. And, and, I, and I need to explain that at least a little bit, because long before that, um, so we're talking here the 60s and 70s. Um, I was a secretary, I was a wife, I was a mother of three children. Um, you know, I baked my own bread, I raised my own food. I mean, you, you know, hey, I was in there. <clears throat> but I also discovered what you call the paranormal, what we then call the esoteric. And, and, and I got very deeply into that so, so much that um, it was never enough that I could do anything. Uh, for me, it was crucial that um, other people could do it too and that I examined them and that I examined more and more and more, that, that I question, that I test. Um, it, um, uh, the the motto of my life has always been to, a trust but verify. Right. So I've always been a person that verified. Uh, I did my first um, double blind studies at the age of five. You know, I mean, 
I, I, I'm one of these people that has always tested and 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 uh, um, questioned and verified. And again, it, it's never enough that I could do it. it uh, I always demanded that other people try it out, see what they do, see what they think, and then see how it affected their lives, their families, their jobs. So th- th- there was always that sort of three-pronged approach. And I started, uh, I come from the state of Idaho. I started Idaho's first nonprofit metaphysical corporation by the name of Inner Form. I, I, I dealt with people by the hundreds, by, by the thousands. Uh, it, was, it was a really big deal for some reason <laughs> in this <laughs> lifetime. I never did anything small. You know, it always, uh, always big, big, big. Well, I came to a point in my life back then that um, I grew kind of tired of being a leader in this field and starting things. And, you know, oh, I, I just got sort of tired of the whole thing and decided that, quote unquote, I wanted to be normal. Right, right. <laughs> I wanted to be like everybody else. Yeah. So I, I was studying then to be a bank manager, and I was taking classes. Um, and that's when life interfered with life. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, how do I use words? It's like the universe just came down and split my world apart. I, I know that's a silly thing to say, but that's that's what I can offer you now. And, and in my third near-death experience, um, a voice spoke. Now, I'm not talking about guides and guardians and archangels and, you know, right. forget all that. This was a voice so big, it was like, it was like the universe speaking to me. And that voice said, and I quote, test revelation. You are to do the research, one book for each death. Hmm. Um, I was not, well, I I was shown what that meant and what I was to do. Book number one was not named. Book number two is future memory that was named by the voice. Book three was a manual for developing humans, again, named by that voice. Those are, those are done. They're out there. Anybody that wa- wants um, future memory is a labyrinth. Uh, every sentence, every paragraph, every page is part of the math I used to create the labyrinth. So it is a real labyrinth. You cannot skip around in the book. Um, you know, you don't skip around when you're walking a labyrinth, do you? Right. You get the effect by sticking, sticking on the path. Um, book three, a manual for developing humans, is um, uh, written according to. Uh, it's a fifth dimension, fifth dimensional book. So uh, that is to say, all over the book, every every place in the book. The uh, conscious, subconscious, and super, super, super conscious are, are revealed together. You get it all at once. 
Okay. So, okay. So, so in that sense, it's a very different book. So right. you, you got all of that. And, and, and so, ah, okay. So let so, me, okay. So, how do I say okay, it to okay, you? okay. So let's, 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 uh, I think most people will have the question here. Cause I know I do. If this near death experience or experiences that you had, I, um, I'm going to ask you a difficult question here because I'm going to ask you to describe sure. them. Describe, describe no. it to to the extent you can. But and I'm going to try to add on to it after your description. But but clearly, this is where people, um, you know, where maybe words fail. But 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 as somebody who's been doing this for four decades, uh, and you've had a lot of time to think about this. How would you put it into words? That voice. What happened to me was above and beyond anything I had ever learned, heard, read, or heard about. So forget the paranormal. This was real. Right. That voice was thunder. That voice filled my body and filled my soul. That voice was thunder. And that voice told me what to do. And I followed that voice. Bear in mind, I'm a cop's kid. I was raised in a police station. I use police investigative techniques as my protocol. I begin and still do test and verify everything i'm not your typical researcher there are two types of research vertical and horizontal your vertical are your um, scientific protocol they establish the bones and the structure of any given topic the horizontal researcher which is what i am we uh, put the meat on the bones we go and see what the effect is. Is it real or isn't it real? What's the effect? How can I attest that effect? So I'm with people. I'm, with, I'm in people's homes. I'm, um, I'm with the healthcare givers. I'm with the uh, neighbors. I'm with anybody who will speak to me. Um, and I'm, I'm wanting their opinion, what they saw, um, because uh, there's no such thing as any near-death experiencer who realizes how much they have changed or what's going on. None of them do. None of them do. Um, so you're looking at it from as many points of view as possible. And, 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 and with police work, you can never use a word in front or uh, um, in advance of the individual. So, so, let's just say, for instance, there's an accident. There are three witnesses. So the uh, a car accident. So the cop goes up to the any of the witnesses and says, "What did you see?" If the individual says they saw a car accident. Then and then only can the police officers say, uh, can use those words. Right. So, so you can't use words in advance of the individual. This is 
um, this is the problem I have with a lot of this quote unquote scientific research being done with questionnaires, especially computerized questionnaires, is, you know, you're using words in advance of the individual. So to me, that's a no-no. So, so you mean that they're, they're using, they're assuming uh, a certain experience or a certain event before they establish that the event well, occurred? They're using words. They're using words. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, yes. I, um, to, for me, that's a, a no-no. So, uh, so I didn't do that. For me, it was either one-on-one, by telephone, sometimes by email, but always wanting their words. Uh, so, um, so that defines 43 years work. And I mean work. You could easily call me the gumshoe of near death <laughs> because I'm out there on the street, in people's homes. Um, I've been out there now for 43 years. And believe me, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, well, but, well you're uh, still following, you're still following the original voice. voice. You're it's still, always the voice. Yeah. It's still today. Yeah. That's a powerful. It, it is yeah. that voice. Yeah. That's a so, powerful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's a powerful direction. We all, I mean, there's a lot of what, uh, sort of guidance out there, you know, to follow uh, the inner voice and many people look for the voice. I mean, I have, I have that. I, I, my voice did not speak with thunder, but it's, it's more subtle, but, but I think it's powerful the way you expressed it, the voice of thunder. And it just goes to show that how powerful that voice was that you're still following it because folks, people don't do this, uh, without that kind of inspiration. Or revelation, whatever whatever word we want to use here, people do not follow this for their entire lives, and I think that you know it's it. What also folks forget about with these kinds of experiences is the depth of the experience, right? It's the depth of it that really makes it that makes it real. Amen to that. Right? Amen to that. Right. It's the depth of it. And, so, uh, uh, yeah. So we're talking about really a lifetime of work almost at least certainly half a lifetime of work um but always 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 it has to be verified it's it's not enough that people tell me their story it's never enough that they tell me their story i want to know what the effect of that has been and i want it in their words and uh, um uh, and and also whenever possible, I want to hear from their brothers and sisters. I want to hear from their parents. I want to hear from their friends. I want to hear as as many voices as I can. And also my 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 dad all always made it very very clear: the body says more than the mouth does. So you're not just listening to stories; you're watching their body. They're wa- you're watching how I- individuals use their body while they are speaking. And that tells you lo- a lot more sometimes than what their words, than what their words do. Yeah. So, so when I say I'm thorough, please. Yeah, I, please I, I did not I realize that. Thorough. 
I did not realize <laughs> that. I think you're, I mean, this is, this is a very, um, I think, uh, unique in the field because you're not just taking people's word for it. And I did not realize that with, with your father being a, a policeman and the trust but verify, there's not a lot of people with the energy to do this. Uh, and I could just see, for example, uh, an account of a near-death experience of a child and you would talk to their friends, their brothers and sisters, their parents, and to verify that this person that that the person either did change or is unique or does not fit in you know it's just to um to support the claim and that that i think is is unique i don't know of anybody else doing that and so uh, i think that 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 really says something now going to this uh before we specifically talk about about uh children a little bit here and about uh, the near-death uh experience of children as you detail in your newest book the forever angels what what have what has your research told you or about or taught you about what it means to be human it seems to me we have a very some of us may have a very limited sense of what it means to be human well <laughs> What has it taught you? I mean, most of a lot of folks think that, I mean, for example, a lot of folks think that the whole idea is to, you know, have the, have the biggest car, biggest house, make a lot of money, put in the bank, and pass it on to your children. And, and that we are really, for example, I mean, you know, descended from the apes, meaningless creatures living in a purposeless world, this kind of thing which is what orthodox science tends to teach. What, what has it taught you about what it means to be human, this near-death experiences? Ah. Uh, it's taught me to be myself. It's taught me to look at the self in everyone. Because the self is many, many parts, yet it is one. It, it, it's like the body, mind, and spirit. We're not any one thing. None of us are. But yet we are one thing. Uh, and that is we are, co we are a co-creator with the creator. And if you, if you look at all that I have done from my entire lifetime, people say, what is the one thing you've learned? And I say it's, it is to recognize and honor the self. Um, it, it's just remarkable. It's just remarkable. Um, let, let, me, let me give you an ex example of an adult case that, that, that really brings us to the fore. This is a woman, um, I'm going to say, she's probably in her late 20s, early 30s. She's, she's out driving in the countryside, farmland. And she's driving right, uh, right along in a pretty good uh, um, clip on a road. And, and a farm truck now is coming um, from the other direction. That is to say sideways. So he slams into her um, 
at the driver's side. So you've got a farm, a huge farm truck slamming right into her, seated in her car as she's driving. Um, kills her, of course. She dies. Um, the police, the the MT crew is um, rush her to the hospital, thinking you know maybe there's some way we can save her, and they uh, and the doctors think they can. They you know she's now in the surgical rooms, and they're able to bring her back, and 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 she's very animated. And she says to the doctors, I saw my dad, my dad, my dad. And he told me all about why he was here, why he had to leave, and what I'm to do. He, did, he, he told me I had to come back, that my work isn't done yet. And she was so animated that the doctors could not work on her. Hmm. So they had to go to... Um, uh, to where the family was gathered in another room, and they said, "What's this about the father? All uh, you know, all she's doing is talking about her dad." And and the family just <laughs> poo-pooed and laughed and said, "The dad is in, in perfect health." One of them had talked to him on the f- phone that morning, so, so the doctor then, armed with this information, went back. And said, you know, <laughs> nothing wrong with your dad. And and she just went on and on and on about her fa- her father and that she saw him and that he was dead. And she told it, told the doctors how he died, where he died, and and that he told her she she had to come back, that she couldn't stay dead. So this time the doctors are getting angry. I mean, angry. Yeah. So he goes stomping back to the where the family's gathered. And he says, now get that dad on the phone right now. Um, well, suffice it to say, many phone calls later, the family finds out that the father had died exactly where and how the daughter said five minutes before she did. Wow. Five minutes before she did. Now, this is not paranormal. This is not psychic. This is physical. This is real. This is something everyone has to face and look at uh, and, you know, deal with. Did you interview this per, uh, this woman? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and who else did you speak to when during during this investigation or during this experience? Well, the family as much yeah, as, yeah. as much as I could. Yeah. yeah. And I've got a lot, a lot of these kinds of these yeah. kinds of cases. Yeah. I mean, over. I mean, just 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 to sort of tell the indicates to the listeners. I mean, can you estimate uh, before I follow up with you with your last uh, comment there? Can you estimate how many? near-death experiences you have investigated over your career it must mean the thousands and nearly five nearly five thousand five thousand and so nearly, if, that, nearly if, if that isn't a good data set i don't know what is uh you know you know one of the one of the points i'm going to make here is that the thing that i like to do which i think is much more sort of enlightening is to assume the truth 
of these experiences, particularly when they're so well documented, and then go back and ask the question, how can they be true? And as I was reading your 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 newest book, The Forever Angels, it struck me that we we have completely misunderstood the the basis of, of reality. I mean, at least I'm, I'm using the word "we" because because in my my own book, The Collapse of Materialism, my my worldview and my um, position is would account for near death near death experiences. Uh, I do think they are real, but I but it seems to me that what this all means is that what the great early thinkers, Carl Jung, the German idealists, Emerson, that they really that, that consciousness or um, mind is really at the root of reality, and 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 it's much deeper than we think it is. And so when you enter into these into the spirit world, whatever we're going to call it here, um, you're basically entering into the core of existence, and that's why things are different. I mean, that it, it makes perfect sense, and at some point, I hope that science gets over their fixation on materialism, on particles being the only reality, and realize that the world's a lot richer than they assume it to be. So, so I I love near death experiences. Uh, I haven't had one, and maybe you know I, I don't know. Frankly, I don't know if I want one or not. But no, I don't think I don't think I do. But I don't think I I don't think I need one to be honest with you to to to, to um, understand the truth of them. I mean, uh, so go well, go ahead. Look, Philip, when we're talking about near near death ex experiences. We're also talking about the after effects. Right. And the after effects are a pattern of physiological and psychological uh, characteristics. And, and that pattern is so dynamic. It's the pattern that proves the experience, not the other way around. Hmm. So we're not just talking about a near-death experience. Never, ever, never. We're, we're, we're talking the, the, the fullness of the after effects, how you live with them, uh, how you deal with them, um, how it changes you physically as well as, psych as psychologically. We now know that uh, that a near-death experiences experience changes brain function. It, it, it changes brain structure. It changes the nervous system, the digestive system, and skin sensitivity. Many people co come back with electrical sensitivity. I'm one of them. Um, many of them come back with stenesthesia. Uh, that's, that's an elaboration of the, of the limbic system. That is, that is to say we're talking about the senses here. Uh, so you can come back with blended or... Um, um, altered senses um it, it's a dynamic it's not just a it's not just a story it's not just a pretty story it's a dynamic that involves every single part of your life so we're talking about something that 
that defies belief. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. These things happen. They are physical. They are real. And they have after effects that are very dynamic. Yeah, yeah. the way I would put it, and this is very simplistic, and, and, and just, just uh, your, um, your answer there or your comment there and just in reading about this, to me it's like you think that the basis of reality is a puddle, but it's really an ocean. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, mo- most of us, and then once you, once it, it's sort of like once you experience the ocean, you can't get over it. I mean, it, this, this happens, this happens again and again. It's not, and it's not just for something like near-death experiences, but it's all over the place. You know, once you experience the Grand Canyon, or once you experience the, the, you know, a the stars in a dark night. There's certain. And, and it just seems to me that uh, the near-death experience is so intensely personal and it's so intensely real that, that it has this, um, you know, this incredible effect uh, upon, upon the person. Now, I want to move here, because time's going fast here, I want to move to uh, children here because you've done a lot of work with near-death experiences uh, of children, and, and uh, including in your in your newest book, as I mentioned, the Forever Angels, and this is an amazing. It's an amazing book, and it's it's like um, for those who want to have their mind opened, uh, it's it's a book you need to read because it really breaks through. I think two separate um, sort of barriers. One of them is the near-death experience, but one of them is this concept of memory. And it struck me, um, uh, PMH, and I'd like you to, to um, address this, that many of us cannot remember anything before we were, whatever, 9, 10. You know, maybe there was one or two experiences. We got paddled or we got, or we kneeled in, in, in uh, class or maybe we got some, you know, Christmas present or something. But, but, I, but like my daughter can't remember anything uh, hardly before she was 10. I think that's fairly common. You're talking about these kids that some of them remember being in the womb, which, and I'd like you to address this, this, this whole memory issue here. Um, and, and why children might be different in the, in the, uh, in the field of near death experiences. Well, I don't think anybody is different. Yeah. Uh, we've done a lot of research with the near-death experience now uh, with adults and children, and, but especially adults, uh, where, where we can now uh, establish that it doesn't matter how, how old an individual gets, gets, they will still remember that near-death experience and they will remember it clearly. It, 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 it strikes them. The, them in such a way that um, they just simply don't forget it. Now, with children, many of there are some that that, that don't remember it, but when they're older, uh, when it comes back in whatever manner, uh, uh, in whatever way, when they're older. 
uh, and it comes back, they will never forget it uh, then. So for whatever reason they might forget when they're a child, it does come back. Now, most of them, they do remember. There's, there's, there's something about the force, um, the distinctive force of this experience that, um, you know, there's no problem with memory, no problem whatsoever. They will remember that experience as if it happened yesterday. And with, with the forever angels, that held true even with a woman who was 86 years old. Wow. Well, it, it really, it, one of the powerful um, points that you make in this book, and you know, it's filled with uh, interesting anecdotes and some really mind-opening accounts, but you, you make the point that uh, infants and children cannot compare a before with an after as adults do because they don't have a before. Right, there's no before. Uh, that's it, which is an unbelievable uh, observation. So, if for so for a child, and and what really was um, really hit me in in uh, in reading and listening to your your book is some of these kids viewed the their spiritual origin as being more real than their parents. They, well, if, to them, to them, it's not a spiritual origin. To them, it's the way it is. Yeah, uh, they don't view anything as spiritual, um, physical. You know, none of that means anything at all, and you've got to realize that it doesn't mean a thing. It, it um, ninety percent of of the of the children in this study. Um, did not bond with their parents. They're still bonded to the other side. Bear in mind that a baby, a toddler, or, uh, or, or you know, um, a child up to five years old, well, certainly the babies and toddlers, um, they, uh, their, their reality is still where they came from. Their reality is not mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Their reality is where they came from. So they have all kinds of, of puzzles to deal with. You know, um, mom and dad, ah, um, they may love them, but still they don't bond with them. They, they uh, you know, it's, it's like brother and sister. Um the brother and sister thinks that, that that the kid came from Mars. Yeah, <laughs> you know they don't fit the family. Yeah. Uh, well, again, again, I want to say that a near-death child does not think like anybody else in the family. They don't behave like anybody else in the family, and many times they don't even look like anybody else in the family. <laughs> oh boy, they're different. So, 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 why don't you give us an example of someone you've interviewed who had a childhood near-death experience? And we're talking, folks, about about kids that are essentially killed in a car accident or maybe abuse, 
uh, if the, their, you know, their mother may, may uh, pregnant, may, may be in a car accident. Why don't you give us an example of one, uh, maybe from your book, to, to put some context on this uh, PMH? Well, let me, let me give you kind of a funny one okay. to, be, to begin with. And, and, that, uh, and that is the case of Penny. Um, Penny's mom smoked. So in the womb, Penny is still in the womb. In the womb. She is aware. She's alerted whenever her mother wants to smoke. She, she gets the alert. And then her mom starts smoking. And she's, she's very worried and anxious that her mother is smoking because whenever her mother smokes, she goes on a high. It affects her physically. It gives her a high. And she didn't like her mother smoking in the womb. And, and the strange thing to me is, or the sad thing to me is, that doctors will always tell you, they'll tell the pregnant moms, don't worry about smoking, you know, as long as you don't smoke a lot, you know, a chain smoker, don't worry about it about a little smoke now and then it won't affect the child phony baloney yeah it, it, it it's a direct effect on the child That's, so you know that, that <laughs> is just it's just amazing and and for those i mean if, i mean here's a kid that remembers it if you weren't the researcher you are these accounts would um conjure up a lot of doubt but let me say something here that to me shows the truth of this, which, well, which, which, which supports this whole line of thinking. Uh, there's, there's a famous book. It's by um, Pierre Delhard de Chardin, which I probably mispronounced, but it's called The Phenomena of Man. And this book is the source of this uh, saying that we are not, physical beings having a spiritual experience were spiritual beings having a physical ex experience meaning that our core and and I'm I'm not a big fan of the word spiritual I haven't thought of a better word maybe energy being is a better term but if we are really spiritual beings at our core then you can't change that it is what it is we become quote unquote physical because to me that's the way you experience life and it's, it's a deep topic. We don't have time to get into it. But the point is, is that these these children who are coming from a spiritual or an energy field, uh, so to speak, it would be natural that they therefore would have a deeper connection to the spiritual or energy field than they would to the material field. The nice thing here in talking to you, Dr. Atwater, is that we could have this conversation and I think we could be pretty scientific about it. So, I mean, we're not, we're not, I'm not sure whether um, your common scientist on the street would accept this line of thinking. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we, once we accept these experiences as real, we have to find a way to explain them. Right. That's what I'm about. I'm, I'm about explaining. Well, I'm, I'm how looking at characteristics. I'm right. looking at. Uh, how they are different. If they're different, how are they different? And uh, look, 
82% had, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some percentages here. 82% had difficult family situa situations. 84% came back highly empathic. We're talking about 397 people here. We're not talk yeah, talking yeah. about five or six. 397 people. Okay. 75% very intelligent. We're talking about 93% come back highly proficient in math, science, and history. Whoa, 93%. Uh, um, they have difficulty in school. Um, you know, we can talk about, well, well here's some more. 70% have vivid dreams. 67% have problems sleeping. 62% um, out-of-body experiences, almost commonplace with them. Aware of the future, 61%. Turn to drug use, 46%. Turn to alcohol, 45%. That's when they're older. A strong spiritual guidance and knowing, 76%. Yet, 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 look at this. 21% in my first study, which was done in the 80s and 90s, it's in the book, The New Children and Near-Death Experiences, 21% had suicide ide ideation. They, they wanted to get back to the other side. I tried so hard to get other re researchers interested in doing this and to check my work. None would. So after all these years, I got tired of it. So, so three years uh, Three years ago, I started my own study. Only this time, uh, I, uh, I, w I went after those people who were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s who could verify having had a near-death experience between uh, birth and the age of five. And, and then I asked them one question. Did having such a, an experience when you were very, 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 very young, did it have any effect on your life? If it did... I want to know all about it. So in essence, I'm asking for an essay, but I wanted to know about the family, the siblings, the schools, sports, sex, dating, jobs, career, falling in love, getting married, having kids of your own, grandkids. I wanted to know, did it make any difference? And so those are backward looking. They're looking back. So the first study were children and, and, and teens and people in their 20s looking forward. And, and, and with those, I was working with kindergarten age children on up. So when you're working with little ones, you are on the floor with them because you can never be above eye level, never, never, never with a child. Uh, because if you do... You, you're in, in power. You can't be in power. You have to be equal. So that means your eyes, you know, have to be, be on, the, on the same level. Right. So you're wor working many times on your belly. So those are, uh, those are forward looking. These older ones, backward looking, 74% suicide ideation rate. The, uh, the after effects increased over time they did not decrease so there's a chapter in this book on ptsd versus ndes 
because you have to look at this. I mean, you have to look at this. Why? Why? And, and um, you know, I, I, I got um, one of the big things in school is um, they, they, they underwent a learning reversal. Well, a learning reversal is these children who have this very early near-death experience, many, obviously, they're more intelligent than the average child. They're going to school and they're abstracting. Abstracting. They are dealing with broad conceptual learning styles. I've got two-year-olds, three-year-olds who are abstracting. Let, let me give you an example. Sure. This is a boy um, in the state of Georgia. He's a uh, first grader, drowns half, halfway through the, the, the first, gra- first grade. They're able to, you know, to bring him back. And so when he's finally able to get back to his school, Philip, what are they reading in the first grade? See, spot, run. Dick and Jane. This kid comes back reading Greek mythology and understands it and goes up to his teacher and says, why was the book Robinson Crusoe ever written? (laughs) Well, it freaks the teacher out. She pulls him out of class. That's what I mean by abstracting. We are looking at significant changes in the brain with little ones. Now, bear in mind that the near-death experience, I call it a power punch. It's hitting at the time when the basic flooring is being laid for the brain, for thoughts, for for the for the. Um, for the nervous system, all of, the, all of that basic uh, flooring is being laid in the brain. So, uh, so they're being hit at a time when it's flipping the, the brain around. So, so, so we're getting kids. Uh, l- let me share with you. Um, birth to 15 years. Now, now, my first study was birth to 15 years. But most of the um, those that I worked with, uh, very few teenagers, very few tweens. Um, most of them were seven and younger. Um, the The big groups I had was from birth to fifteen months and from three to five years. So therefore, I could take that work and use it uh, in this current one. So birth to fifteen years. When they were old enough to take the standard IQ test, um, they were scoring between 150 to 160. 48% of them were. <laughs> now, ho- hold on here. Under six, scoring between 150 to 160, 81%. But hold on your hats. Birth to 15 months especially if they had a dark light experience instead of a bright light experience when they were old enough to take the standard IQ test, 
They were scoring 180 and above. All of them were. I only found four people with genetic markers that could account for this leap. Not only is it's a brain jumping, but but you know this anesthesia is a really really big deal. Um, let me give you an example of anesthesia. I was born with it. No, I'm not a near-death kid. I was just simply born with it. So um, in, in the first grade, I was the only child in school who could smell color, see music, and hear numbers. So my sensory system was, was different. Um, I was treated then in the first grade. I, I had to sit on a tall, a tall stool in front of the class wearing a, a tall con conical hat that said dance on it as, as, a, as an example of a bad child who told lies. <laughs> the principal uh, 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 called my mother to the school to, twice to get me kicked out of school. This is a first grade. Get me kicked out of school. <laughs> I knew I was telling the truth. Everybody else thought I was lying. At the end of the school year, I turned against adults. I turned against that kind of information. I decided that I, from now on, I have to find my own truth myself and verify it myself. So obviously, um, um, I'm still doing that. Uh, but this this idea of stenosis, so they're coming back different. They don't know why they're different. They just know that they understand things nobody else does. The typical child experiencer knows more than the parent, knows more than the school teacher does. Um, they don't fit in. Well, it seems it, seem, it seems as if it's one of the um, indicia here, or uh, and and one of the explanations would be, I think, that they have. Uh, I'm going to use the term an open mindedness or a understanding or a greater understanding of the potential of the human mind at a at an earlier age, and so they're not brought into this limited thinking world that many of us are brought into it seems like they so the they're like born of the gods so to speak that's one way to put it they have they have an understanding of their potential and i and i think what's coming well, it's across from, understanding yeah it's I think, not an understanding philip right. it's a reality reality there's a difference between understanding and reality yeah for for them the world is um very different than how we view the world. They, they really don't understand what a, what a human being is. Hmm. What they understand is where they came from and that knowing. So for the average adult, it takes seven to 10 years to integrate their experience. For the average child, it takes 20 to 40 years. Mm. An adult will integrate, a child compensates. Mm. So, um, so in the book, 
I give you an opportunity to look at the, this from all kinds of different points of view so that you, you can you can then begin to see that that for these near-death children, some of them are interested in reincarnation and the, and you know the, their their drawings and their stories are in the book, but most of them are not. For them, it is the life continuum. They view life as as being a stream. And every once, every once in a while, every once in a while, take a dip. That's a life, and then and then comes back to the stream. And then maybe take another little, little dip and comes back to the stream. In other words, life is continuous. Life for them is the life continuum. It doesn't involve bodies. It involves consciousness. It involves the greater reality. And and for them to. Um, to adjust to uh, this kind of world, it takes a lot of doing. And so I, I want to be clear here that what seems seems like troubles and difficulties, 74 74%, I want to say that again, 74%, that's the majority had a very successful career. Some of them became millionaires. Well, uh, well and, the, you know, just look at that. It's almost as if they're living in two worlds and two realities at the, at the same time. Uh, but they learn how to apply that over time. They learn how to stitch it all together and and come up with a hole that they can live with. So, so and, that brings me to a uh, my my last question, and I I want to say that uh, everybody needs to be I mean impressed with the rigor of your research, and this is something that I want to emphasize. I've already said it once or twice. But what we're talking about here is researching these experiences using the methods of science, the the the, the um, investigative methods of, of 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 policemen, of any other rational investigator uh, to reach these conclusions that PMH is doing here. And I I want to at the end here I want to ask one question. You sort of touched upon it, but I think that. At the end of the day, after your decades of researching this uh, PMH, this this uh, amazing phenomenon of near-death experiences, what lesson? What is the takeaway here? What 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 should we learn from from all this research you've done? That we are more than we think we are, yeah. and that life is more than we we think it is. And that death is more than we think it is. And that consciousness and the mind is more than we think it is. Yeah. And I it's, it's just all of it. So much more. So um, what do I learn all, uh, 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 about all of this? Is is the, uh, it's the um, I learn about me. I learn about who I am. I learn about... I learn about you and who you are. 
I learn about everybody else around us and who they are. It has given me an opportunity to be awed, literally awed (laughs) by the power and the joy and the incredible oneness that we all are. It's just, it's just awe-inspiring. And and I think that that, that to me, is the whole value of this line of research. And it's something, because what we're doing here and uh, what I'm trying to do on this show is to open up new vistas and not only not only um, potential vistas, but real vistas. And it's, it's, it's a shame, I think, PMH, that so many people limit themselves by discarding these types of events and by thinking that we're really just doomed mortal creatures. Now, we've come to the end. Uh, I, I want to say here uh, that, in fact, we've gone over a little bit, but it doesn't matter, but uh, PMH does have 18 books on various um, facets of the near-death experience. And your, your website is what, PMH? www.pmhatwater.com. I do produce a free monthly newsletter. You sign, you sign, up, you sign up on it on my website. Again, www.pmhatwater.com. And once again, uh, PMH, thank you very much. This is Philip Camella. That was it. Was a lot of fun. We covered. Uh, there's so much ground to cover here, but I hope. I mean, at the end of the day, I just want to say I think near-death experiences of all of these extraordinary experiences folks talk about are the number one door uh, to realizing. Uh, uh, the other world. This is, as I said, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.